Hi everyone and welcome back to the Girl Dog of podcast. I am your host Rachel and today I'm speaking with Inkem. Inkem is a Queens, New York native and is currently the Chief of Staff and Senior Director of Business Operations at Careof, a wellness startup that sells personalized vitamins and supplements. She is also the founder of A Dust Supper Club, a platform that helps black food creators grow their businesses. Inkem previously worked in management consulting and her professional mission is to create equitable economies in which black communities thrive. She holds a BS in chemical engineering from Yale University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. In Igbo, Adam means first daughter and is a common name and nickname given to eldest daughters in Igbo families. Traditionally, Adas play an important role in the family. They are expected to lead by example and to set the tone for their family members. In part, that means creating pathways to guide their family to success. Cut to the culinary industry where pathways to success have historically been inaccessible to many black or female chefs. Despite the brilliance of their food ways, their voices are rarely centered or celebrated in the conversation of cooking. So, Ada Supper Club was launched to create space for black chefs and female chefs to tell their own stories on their own terms. They do that through delivered public pop-ups and private dining experiences for remote teams. And with that being said, let's get into the episode. Good morning, and Kim. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm super excited to hear more about Ada Supper Club and yourself as well. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for asking me to join you. Of course. Um, and what is your personal background? What is the mission? And um, where are you located as well? Sure. So personal background, I am a New Yorker born and raised, located here in New York City. My background outside of, of that, I've always been obsessed with food. As a young person, I thought I wanted to be a chef for a little bit. You know, just thinking you know, food as a consumer, the science behind food, even shopping. I love grocery shopping, all of those things. I've always been obsessed with it. You know, but instead I, I went to school and studied chemical engineering. Um, I got my MBA and I worked in consulting for a bit. Um, I worked at uh, tech startups but I've always had this sort of inkling to get into food. I thought maybe one day I'd like invest in restaurants or something like that. Um, but a couple of years ago, one of my good friends brought me to a supper club experience. And I remember looking around and thinking, I feel like I could do this better than the way this is being set up right now. Um, I grew up with a mother who's always throwing events and I myself love to like have friends over and cook for them and things like that. And so I was just thinking, yeah, I feel like I can do this better. Um, and so I decided to launch a DA as almost like a, a thought experiment, like a, a test in how to build and develop a brand. I had a lot of free time at that point in life. And so I was really interested in seeing what could come out of it. And so it started as an in-person dinner series. Naturally, I think, you know, I am a Black woman. Um, so naturally was focusing the experiences around underrepresented chefs. So black, specifically Black chefs and female chefs. And for me, that, that was kind of a natural a route to take. Like I said, I've, I've studied engineering, I've, I've worked in consulting and in tech. These are all predominantly male-dominated, predominantly, you know, white-dominated spaces, particularly when it gets to be, when you think about the folks who are elevated or celebrated in these spaces, there tends to be a lot of erasure of folks of color, of people who identify as women across these spaces. And in the food world, you see that a lot too. Again, when you're thinking about sort of these fine dining, quote unquote, or elevated or celebrated chefs, you know, 
there's a certain profile that's predominant. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was that's something that I personally experienced. And so I wanted to really focus on elevating some of these chefs who are extremely talented, but often overlooked. Um, and so the mission of Adas Supper Club is to celebrate um, diverse expression mm -hmm. through food. Um, and so we do that through various elevated dining experiences that we curate with an extremely talented collective of chefs. I love that. I think um, I can totally relate to what you're saying about like how your mom used to host a lot. And I think my parents do that a lot. So those are like some of my favorite memories. And you know, I come from a, a big Mexican family. So food is kind of like the center of how you express love sometimes. So I think it's, it's a great way to kind of bring people together, which is awesome. Absolutely. I would love to know your why. So I know that you mentioned, you know, you want to uplift black and female voices and their craft, but is there anything else like what, what kind of went behind when you initiated out of supper club? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it really is that right. Like I just see so many talented folks who are saying really interesting, inventive, delicious things through their culinary craft. And they're just overlooked right they aren't given the space to express and so I think a lot about self-actualization and how you know giving people the opportunity to write their own stories right in their own voices can be so powerful to people right I experienced that myself and so it kind of feels like a no-brainer to me right it's like there's this huge community of really talented folks who are just not often you know, people obviously make their way and, and have very successful businesses on their own. I don't want to make it seem like all these chefs are destitute, you know, at all. And also, I think that there could be more opportunity and more access for some of these chefs who aren't the first people that come to mind when you were, you know, talking to the big leagues of, of food, media, et cetera. Yeah. And I know on your website, um, something that really stood out to me was moments of unexpected connection. Um, I really love that phrase. And in what ways do you feel that food can really bring us together? And what's the ideal experience for you? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it yourself, right? Your big family, you guys always gather around food. I mean, eating is like the single common human experience. Like we all got to eat. <laughs> and I mean, if you think about any moment of gathering, a happy moment, a birthday celebration or whatever, even sad moments, you know, funerals, or even casual moments. I want to catch up with somebody over a coffee, over a bite. We always use food to facilitate that connection. And it's so powerful. I mean, we can tie so many really deep memories to food experiences, right? Oh, I remember when my grandma used to make X, Y, Z, or, oh, I had a really awesome friend in college who used to always make their ramen this way. So that's why I love ramen, you know? And so I think that food is a natural connector. It always has been, always will be. You know, we talk about moments of unexpected connection because I think us as humans, we tend to think that we're a lot more different than we actually are. And I find that food is a vehicle that you can use to recognize how similar we are to each other naturally without even thinking about it. And so really part of what we're trying to do is, is foster real human connection with authentic food stories. And I'm curious to know what your, when you think of a food that brings you back to like a certain memory, something that you think about often, what is that? I'm very curious. Oh, I have so many food memories. 
I mean, so I'm Nigerian. I'm Nigerian American. And I remember going to my town in Nigeria. I'm Igbo. So my town in like East, Southeastern Nigeria when I was maybe like 10. And my uncle was making this dish we call pounded yam. So you like have you know, cocoa yam and you're pounding it in a big mortar and pestle. And we, we ate that here in New York. I grew, I grew up eating it, but I never had the real authentic pounded yam. And oh my gosh, I remember the first time I ate that, I was like, wow, I haven't lived life until this day. <laughs> I've been. <laughs> so good. So, and even just like the sound of him, like pounding on the mortar and pestle, like that memory is really instilled in my mind mm-hmm. and the taste of it being so tangy and soft and delicious with the soup. Oh, I wish I was there right now. that sounds great (laughs) and I would love to know also like what offerings do you guys have I know that corporate catering is one of them Um, are there any others that people can kind of look forward to or look into more yeah so we actually like I mentioned we started as an in-person dinner series Mm -hmm. um, but then pivoted to doing delivery you know direct-to-consumer delivery with these different food journeys that we're curating with our, our chefs Um, And we still do those occasionally on a quarterly basis, but our real focus now, as you mentioned, are our corporate offerings. Mm -hmm. And so right now we're really focused on virtual dining experiences for um, remote teams. So imagine your company wants to do a holiday party. We curate um, fully cooked meals that we sent nationwide to team members and host a really fun virtual dinner party experience to kind of recreate all those moments of connection that we discussed that we're kind of missing in this virtual world. Yeah, no, I think that's great because I something that I think about when I used to work in person was a lot of my coworkers and I would be like, let's go get lunch, let's go get dinner, let's go get drinks. But obviously now um, during the pandemic and now that a lot of us are working from home, I kind of, I really miss that aspect. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's definitely a, a great way to still do it and then still connect over food. So I think that's that's awesome. I would love to know as well, how, how can we support and celebrate Black and female expression through food? Yeah, so I, I think about the idea of just giving people space to express the way they want to express. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the core of it for me. Um, I think we tend to want to put people in boxes, mm-hmm. right? To say, oh, this is a Black chef they probably do soul food, for example. Mm -hmm. And that's like so problematic to me in so many different ways because then you're not really giving people the space to, again, tell their own stories on their own terms. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about supporting diverse chefs, it's really about like having an open mind about what people, the experience people have, the stories they wanna tell, the food they wanna bring to your table, um, and not being sort of judgmental or close-minded or box folks into a specific type of culinary uh, expression. Mm -hmm. And kind of random, but do you have good advice for people who might not have the best way of expressing that they might not like a certain type of food? Or because I I feel like I've run into certain people who are just like so picky and so annoying that like they love to express when they don't like something, um, but they don't really realize that like you can be completely offending someone and their culture (laughs) or what or something that they love. Yeah, yeah, do you have any advice for that? Oh my gosh, yeah, I I have some picky people in my life and I'm the bane of my existence. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I always seek to understand, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, when I encounter someone who's like, oh, I don't like, like insert a whole culture's cuisine, like Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
as diverse as Mexican food is, people will say that, right? I don't like Mexican food. And so, you know, I always like, so tell me about your experience with Mexican food. Like, what have you eaten? What don't you like about it? And then that's when you can come back with the facts of, oh, well, sounds like you were having like, I don't know, Tex-Mex from a specific place in Illinois. <laughs> you know, like, have you tried this dish or this thing or blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with education uh, and, you know, folks, kind of tend to speak out of ignorance, I think, when it comes to their dislike of certain foods. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so just just like education, because again, it's about like people trying to box folks into a specific category, mm -hmm. especially, I mean, I think that especially happens with people of color and cultures, like non-white cultures, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mexican food is just tacos with cheese on it, or um, I don't even know, Japanese food is only sushi or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And don't give these cultures don't even know the diversity in all of these culinary styles. Mm. So I really think about like seeking to understand and then educating people on what it is that they're missing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that's amazing advice. And with that being said, like where should someone start when diving into fine dining? Yes, um, so I actually kind of want to take a step back and think about what fine dining even is. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I did a pop-up with a fabulous chef named Nana Wilmot, and she said something that really resonated with me, which is fine dining is a mood, right? Fine dining is an energy, it's a vibe, you know? And I really love that because it subverts this idea that fine dining is this exclusive, often lily white experience that only a few select people can have and democratizes it such that if we're creating the right vibe, if we have the right energy, if we're really intentional about our dining experience, right? And by that, I mean, you know, why are we eating this dish with this drink, mm -hmm. right? Why, are, why is this fork placed right here? Why is this specific music playing, right? Like being really intentional about the full multi-sensory experience of eating. To me, that's fine dining. And so, yeah, so I, I would encourage people to just think about what matters most to them when it comes to their food experiences and think, okay, how can I be more intentional and mindful about my lunch right now? How can I make this, elevate this experience, even if it's just you at the table, mm -hmm. how can I elevate this experience so that this is a fine dining experience for me? Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And like, what are you cooking this week? Do you have a favorite party trick when it comes to like dishes that you create? Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing this week. Yeah, so this week I have a few things that I actually want to start cooking today. I actually, I there's this I went to um Oaxaca this past New Year's with my sisters and some friends and we had this delicious like shrimp taco with this sort of cream sauce. I actually have no idea how I'm going to make this. <laughs> but it was so delicious and I've been dreaming about it. And so I got some shrimp the other day and I'm trying to figure out how I can kind of recreate this dish that I don't even know what it's called. Mm -hmm. So pray for me on that one. Um, <laughs> and then I'm also going to make this Nigerian stew called Ayamashe stew, also called designer stew or a fada stew. It's like a green pepper, hot pepper, onion fried in oil, some whatever meat of your choice. You can eat it over rice or with plantain or yam or whatever. So I'm going to make that with turkey and probably eat it with some rice. That sounds great. <laughs> um, and what, what has surprised you the most after creating at a supper club? I think what actually surprised me was the reception. 
you know, I, I kind of created this on a whim, like as an exercise, right? Like as a thing I can do on the side to see what it's like to try to build a brand or do something. And I was really pleasantly surprised and feel very grateful for how many people really resonated with the story, with the mission, with the brand. Um, and I, I continue to be really grateful for, for that reception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually was looking at some articles that were written about you for anthropology and food and wine. I know that you say that the reception has been great, but what has that been like actually being able to like get your story out and like and write about something that you're passionate about and that others are like anthropology is such a huge company. I know that there's tons of people reading that. How how does that feel in real time? It feels crazy. <laughs> it feels really cool. Um, again, I feel so grateful, you know, I mean, a part of me is like, I don't really want to be in the spotlight, <laughs> you know, like I, I really want to focus all the conversation around the mission as opposed to me as an individual. Mm-hmm. So that's one sort of reaction. Um, and then the other reaction is just really being grateful for having a platform to talk about what I think is a really important topic, which is, um, I mean, fundamentally celebrating diverse stories. Yeah. And I would love to know more about some of the chefs that you have working for you. Yeah. So I, yes. Another thing I'm super grateful for are these fabulous, extremely talented, way cooler than me chefs that have decided to work with us. Um, I mean, you know, speaking broadly, I mean, there are super talented, professionally trained chefs. Oftentimes they have worked in uh, restaurants, fine dining restaurants, various styles of restaurants, different types of cuisines. And they tend to have like a love-hate relationship with sort of the restaurant life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think because of that love-hate tension, oftentimes they break off and become entrepreneurs on their own, right? They're private chefs, they have catering businesses, they're selling um, food products that they create. And so that journey is also really interesting to me to work with people who have, um, again, seen sort of the issues in the food world, some of the ways in which they're not celebrated as much and recognized as much as they probably should be, and then branching out on their own. Um, that journey to entrepreneurship, I think, is really powerful. And so, yeah, these chefs are awesome. I, and I'm so happy because I get to just eat tasty food all the time. I can only imagine. (laughs) I'm jealous. Um, And do you have any tips on how someone can host their perfect dinner party? Maybe some like favorite items or dishes. Um, Like you said, I know music plays a good part in it too. Uh, What's what's your ideal situation? Yes. um, I think it really, first you have to start about like, what is the intention of this party or this gathering, right? Like, are we kind of pre-gaming to go out somewhere? Are we eating and then we're going out to another party? Mm-hmm. Are we having a long sort of luxurious dinner and then going to sleep, right? Because like, if you are starting your night out, then you might welcome your friends in with the shot, <laughs> right? You, maybe your music is a little louder and your food is less, maybe a, a bit lighter so that folks don't fall asleep before the party. <laughs> um, if it's, a different type of event, maybe the music is softer. You might have like a chilled R&B playlist going on. Um, you welcome people with, you know, a sparkling wine or something that's a little luxurious and you have wine throughout the night or something, or it's, you know, multiple courses, etc. I think what really makes dinner experiences special is like the personalized touches and the intentionality around it. Mm-hmm. So could you, you know, set the table in a cute way and have everyone's favorite mini chocolate 
on their like plate, you know, or like one small flower on everyone's menu or print out menus or things like that. So I think those small touches are really what people remember mm -hmm. and that really make it a delightful, a delightful experience. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really good advice. I love like the, the personal touches, like the flowers. It's so easy. Like I wouldn't even think to do that. Um, and were there any challenges that you encountered um, that you want other people to learn from? Um, I think one challenge that um, can be relatively common is knowing which advice to take. Uh, oftentimes people will see your business or your idea and have suggestions. Um, and that's great, right? I think it's always good to be open-minded to hear people's uh, opinions, especially customers. You want to be customer-centric when you're building a business. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to be able to decipher the noise from true signals mm -hmm. and be able to understand what makes the most sense for your own personal and your business's financial goals versus um, sort of customer, almost like whims of desires, mm -hmm. right? So if somebody really wants you to do, like for, if I'm being specific, I've had a, a, a you know, a lot of inbounds around doing like small, curating small dinner parties for people, let's say four people, mm -hmm. um, which I think would be a lovely customer experience, but from a business perspective, just isn't right. really where our priorities lie. Mm -hmm. And so being able to be firm in your beliefs and understanding again, like the signal versus the noise, I think will be, a, is a challenge that um, impacts most businesses. Yeah, no, I, I think that that makes total sense. And I think too, when you have like a clear vision and, and mission for your company, it's it's easy to not lose sight of that. And so, yeah, I think like taking out the the external chatter is super important. And how, how empowering has it been to have your own business? Do you have any advice for young women wanting to do the same or young chefs as well? Yes. I mean, I, I really think that entrepreneurship is one of the clearest paths towards liberation. And I mean that literally. I remember doing a pop-up with a extremely talented chef named Kia Damone. And during in, in her menu, she had this dessert that's called Kalas. They're mm -hmm. like beignets, mm -hmm. but maybe like a bit doughier. It was so delicious. And um, the story behind the Kalas really struck me. So in, I think maybe the 1800s, maybe 1700s, back in the day, <laughs> in Louisiana, enslaved women would make these Kalas and sell, sell them on the street mm -hmm. um, and literally save the money literally to buy their own freedom. Wow. And so in that way, like food entrepreneurship literally is a road to liberation. And I think you can think about that nowadays in all forms of entrepreneurship, right? Like how can you create a life that you truly want to live, mm -hmm. have own your own time, own your own thought. And so I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurship and think that it is, it's super empowering and in particular, uh, an empowering path to, to liberate yourself and create the life you want to live. Mm -hmm. um, now for young, young folks, young women who are interested in being entrepreneurs, I think my biggest advice is just to do it. <laughs> You know, like you're never going to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Even me, I wake up every day and I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> but the, day, the day ends and things get done somehow by the grace of God. So um, I think it's being comfortable in that fear, being comfortable in that ambiguity and really just leaning into the idea that you are smart enough and you have everything you need to figure it out as you as you go. Mm -hmm. So just hop on it and do it. 
<laughs> and um, do you have any life-changing stories about how Adas Supper Club has helped you or others? Yeah, one story that, that comes to mind, um, I did a pop-up with a, a wonderful chef who after the pop-up shared with me that during the pandemic, once the pandemic started, she kind of fell into a depressive episode, like a depressive state. Um, and once we started working together on the pop-up and she really focused on you know, her culinary craft, her artistic expression, that was a vehicle to help her pull herself out of that state. Mm-hmm. And I was so, I don't know, moved by that story, you know, like so unexpected. I didn't, you know, I don't know. We, we, we never know what's going on in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it really goes back to the idea that self-expression, self-actualization is a path towards, you know, all forms of liberation, physical, mental, emotional, um, and whatever we can do to, again, give people space to be themselves and really express themselves can have such powerful ramifications that we can't even imagine. Definitely. And um, kind of to go back a little bit to the dining setting, um, what is your favorite setting? Is it inside, outside, um, with friends, family? What's What does that look like for you? Hmm. I mean, I love eating everywhere and anywhere, but <laughs> if I'm being specific, um, I mean, I have this vision of my head of just like, it's a dinner party of loved ones that could be friends, family, partners, et cetera, a mix of all of the above. But loved ones, you're laughing, you're like feeling the feels. Mm-hmm. Um, I love like an outdoor late summer, you know, it's warm enough that you're wearing short sleeves. Mm-hmm. It's maybe a light breeze. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not too hot. Mm-hmm. And maybe everything's lit by candlelight or um, like string lights. Mm-hmm. You know, the lighting is just right. Your selfies are coming out great. <laughs> and, and everyone's just laughing and smiling. And then you're, you know, chatting, you're having multiple conversations, one conversation, and you just feel full, right? Physically full, emotionally full. Um, those are my favorite dining settings. That reminds me of, um, my dad is from the East Coast, he's from Rhode Island, and I was living there for a year, and whenever we would go visit, we always go around uh, my sister's birthday, which is like end of September, and um, usually we'll have like dinner in her backyard, and something that I can like fully remember and like even here in my ears right now is like the sound of like the bugs and like crickets in on the east coast and it's such a weird thing but it's like it's almost super relaxing like it's it's like a memory that I just have of like being with family and like that exact scenario of it like being warm out but being like just perfect so you don't like you're not super hot you're not super cold but I I love that and that totally like sparked a memory in me (laughs) And what are your plans? Um, Is there anything new to look forward to? Yes. So as I mentioned, we're really focused on corporate experiences right now. So if you are looking for a really fun, unique dining experience with your remote team, hit us up, www.adasupper.club. And, you know, we have a few other things coming up. Um, that you can follow us on Instagram to find out about at A-D-A-S-U-P-P-E-R-C-L-U-B Adas Supper Club. Yay. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add before we hop off? 
Um, no, thank you for having me. Food is love. I hope everyone's eating something delicious as they're watching this or planning to eat something delicious as they're listening. Yeah, eat delicious food. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. I, I love this episode. Thank you. I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.